0: Thank you, worship team. This morning, we continue on in our study of the book of Romans. We're on into chapter 2. Now, the book of Romans is about the gospel. That's what it's about. It's presenting the message of the hope that is in Jesus Christ, the hope that is only in Jesus And Paul is writing this to the church at Rome, a church he has not yet been to, and he's giving them uh, what I think is probably um, the sermon or the series of sermons that he would tend to give most churches when he first arrived there. He would sit down and and probably give some semblance of this, um, we would in our day and age say, you know, uh, the seminars, you know, this would be the Pauline seminars kind of a thing, you know, where he's... He's writing to these folks, some of them are Jews, some of them are Gentiles, they understand the Old Testament, and he's trying to help them work their way through how to go from the Old Testament Jewish person to a New Testament Gentile, or even if you're Jewish, you're still, you know, working here in a New Covenant framework. And that requires some real getting your head around things. And one of the things you have to really establish and make clear here is you've got to get the gospel. And if you don't get the gospel, then you're not going to get the transition. In fact, particularly if you happen to be, say, Jewish, and because you're Jewish, you think that, well, because I'm Jewish, I, you know, I'm all, I'm all set. I'm, I'm good. I mean, after all, I'm Jewish, right? I mean, all Jewish people are going to heaven. Uh, that's actually not the case, and Paul is going to have to help them think that through. And there are other people. And so in chapter 1 he starts out talking about not ashamed of the gospel, and then he talks about how, you know, the, the more or less completely godless, wicked, uh, those folks who would be atheistic, those folks who would be polytheistic or would be worshiping idols. And he went, went, goes down through all that. We went over that last week. Um, encourage you to, you know, to listen to that sermon. that's online. Where he, you know, basically what happened there is that, you know, people abandon God, and so God abandons them. I mean, that's, you know, that's how this happens. All right, if you're determined to get away from God, watch out. God will be determined to get away from you, and that will become a a worse and worse problem. Now, in chapter 2, he moves on to a different group of people. Now, in chapter 2, I'm not sure that he's specifically just yet talking to the Jews, although they're listening. They're, you know, they're part of the congregation. I think he's talking here to just kind of religious people, good people you know, those folks that we try to present the gospel to who are moral people. They're not idolaters. They're not, they're not living in absolute, total, open immorality and complete rebellion to God. And, and uh, you know, just all of... These are, these are good folks. These are good folks. You know, these are people who, in fact, if you were to ask them... Um, you know, how it is you think someone gets to heaven, they're the people who are going to start giving you the, well, you know, God puts my good works over here and my bad works over here, and, I, you know, and I'm a good person, and, you know, I mean, I'm not a murderer or an ex-killer or something. You know, I'm, I'm a nice person. Um, my standards of righteousness are the right standards. I mean, if ever God is going to let anyone into heaven, I mean, surely he's going to let me into heaven. I, you know, I'm a good person. Now, I know who the wicked people are. You know, I, I know who those dirty, rotten sinners are who aren't going to get into heaven, but that wouldn't be me. I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm capable of making the proper moral judgments here. These are the people that Paul is now addressing. And of course, his statement to them, Having just gone through that list of sins there at the end, at the end of chapter one, you know, filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, debate, this, you, know, that, you know that list, right? He goes down through that list. Well, you know, let's face it, right? You don't have to look at that list very hard. We're all on that list. Now, maybe we're not completely given over to those things, but you know, who hasn't been envious? Who hasn't been covetous? You know, who hasn't told lies? Who, I, you just go down through the list, We've acted unrighteously. We've acted ungodly. So the fact is that if we're sitting around thinking that, well, we're going to get into heaven because we're just nice people, uh, you know, verse 1 here, therefore you are without excuse. You're, you're without excuse because God has given you all of this example in chapter 1, you know, the invisible things of him from the creation of the world. And every one of you who passes judgment on others... You know, in that you judge somebody else, well, you're just condemning yourself. Because, you know, you accuse other people of of being wicked and of breaking the law. Well, in that you judge those other people, you do the same thing. Um, Someone has, you know, wisely pointed out that, you know, when you point the finger, well, there's three fingers pointing right back at you, you know. You've only got one pointed at them and three of them pointing at you. Um, so you, know, you might want to be careful about pointing your finger at people. And, you know, this is, this is the group of people who would say things like, well, you know, yes, I read that list at the end of chapter 1, but I don't act like that. You know, I'm not slanderous or envious. I don't, I don't debate or deceive people. Really? Are you sure? I mean, seriously, have you sat and thought about that for just a second? Because our internal, you know, if your internal moral certitude is such that you feel, you know, confident in condemning everyone else... You feel like you can kind of sit in judgment on other people and you can decide for God exactly who is or who isn't righteous. Um, And oh, by the way, you're sure you're righteous? Mm. Paul is like, you know, that's not really going to go very well here. In fact, if you're sitting around condemning others, watch out. Because in as much as you condemn others, you're condemning yourself. Driving, you know, you get in the car. And, uh, you know, you need to get somewhere. And, of course, you're just a little late. And wouldn't you know it, the moment you're a little late, some <clears throat> person uh, in front of you, can you believe it? They're actually going the speed limit. You know, uh, <sighs> Why do I always get behind people going the speed limit when I'm in a hurry, you know? Um, well, like, you know, I hope that... You know, your standard mode of uh, making your way down the highways and byways are somewhere in the vicinity of the speed limit. I mean, I kind of hope that we all more or less drive the speed limit, right? So you know, now that we're upset and judging someone for driving the speed limit, when I'd like to think we tend to drive the speed limit ourselves, why would we condemn them? When we condemn them, we condemn ourselves. Or if somebody cuts you off or you know, any of that traffic stuff, you know? we get all excited about that when, well, when I'm lost, when I can't find out, you know, I need to slow down. I gotta read those signs, you know. I mean, my eyes aren't what they used to be anymore, you know. And and so we gotta, you know, we gotta wait, I I gotta get my high beams up. I'm sorry they're in your eyes, but you know, I have to read what this road sign is because I'm looking, you know, sure, when it's me, yeah, that's all good. Some other guy comes along with his high beams on, rah, you know what you're doing driving your high beams. Funny, when it's us, it's okay. When it's them, oh and that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. That's exactly, you're you're without excuse because when you begin to pass judgment, when you sit around and condemn other people for the things that they do, uh, watch out. Uh, Now, this is very interesting. This is very similar to what Jesus preaches on the Sermon on the Mount, right? And uh, Matthew chapter 7, we go over there. Jesus says this, and, and you know, he starts out with this verse that our society loves. Our, our society thinks this is the most marvelous verse in the whole Bible. They may not know a single other verse in the Bible, but boy, they know this one. Judge not so that you won't be judged. See, there it is right there. Don't judge anybody for anything ever at any time. Um, that's not what Jesus is saying, by the way. Uh, judge not lest you be judged is what he actually says. And, uh, and then he says this, for the way in which you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So Jesus is simply giving, you know, the same kind of advice that Paul is giving here. Which is, you know, you want to be careful about the standard that you set. Because the standard you set is the standard you will be held to. So, if you develop a critical spirit and you begin to be critical of everyone and everything and how everything's done and, you know, you just walk around with criticism, watch out. Because if that's how you're walking around, well, that's how everyone is going to have a tendency to want to react back to you. And so Jesus is making the same, the same statement here. Be careful. Be careful about the standards you set. Because that's the standard you're going to get held to, and boy, it's going to be tough. You're, you're, going to, you're not going to feel good when that standard is brought right back to you. Now, that doesn't mean, well... You know, don't set any standards. There you go. Yahoo. You know, here's the solution. I won't have any standards. Tell you what, y'all can do whatever you want, I'll do whatever I want. We're all gonna be all set. I mean, that's not what God, God is would not like that. God actually has standards, and we need to try to, you know, live up to God's standards. But we also want to be very careful when we when we set out to hold other people to God's standards. We do want to hold other people to God's standards, but you know, we better do it with kindness and compassion and gentleness. And understanding and striving to help people. In fact, Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount and says, Oh, why in the world do you look at the, the little speck that's in your brother's eye and you don't notice the log sticking out of your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me take that speck out of your eye. And Behold, the log is still in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, first, take the log out of your own eye. Then you're going to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And of course, you know, the proportion there is deliberate, right? I mean, we should all see a log in our own eye. He didn't say, take the log out of your brother's eye after you get the speck out of your eye. That, no, that we have the log, and, and it would be important for us to see that. And just in case you're thinking that, you know, Jesus is not setting any standards at all, he says in verse 6, don't give what is holy to the dogs, and don't throw your pearls before swine, as they trample them under their feet and turn, tear you to pieces. And I would just mention to those who would take you to Matthew chapter 7 1 and say, well, you're not supposed to judge anybody. Just go down to verse 6 and say, you know, help me out here. Jesus tells me not to give what is holy to the dogs and to not cast my pearls before swine. And how in the world am I going to do that if I'm not making some kind of a determination of who the dogs and swine are? I mean, it, is, it, it does behoove me, right, to how am I going to know whether or not I'm giving my pearls to the right kinds of people if I'm unwilling to make any evaluation of anyone? I'm, I'm not willing to determine who's a person worthy of the pearls and who isn't. So, you know, I mean, it's, let's face it, right? We do need to actually try to help people think this through. Now, I mean, I understand, you know, and, and, and we want to be careful. I understand that sometimes when people say, well, don't judge, they are referring to the ultimate judgment. And the fact is that we are not the ultimate judge. Um, No one, we we can't determine whether someone is or isn't going to heaven. Uh, And that's not our call. We are not called by God to make a determination as to what someone's eternal destiny is or isn't. But we are called to strive to help one another to uphold the standards that God has given us that is what we are called to do there is a standard and we should act like we are striving to keep the standard we're not above the law we are we are not one who can just sit around and condemn everyone else Uh, this is what Paul is referring to there are people out there who think that because they are religious and because their standard by which they think they're going to get into heaven they think they're good enough well there's a real problem with that way of thinking if you, if you genuinely believe that the way to get into heaven was for you to be a good enough person, mm, how do you go about that? That's pretty tough. You know, you have to go about that. And, and you might say, oh, well, I don't judge others, but really, who are we trying to kid here? You're trying to make yourself better than everyone else around you. I mean, you're trying to make sure that you get into heaven. And so you're comparing yourself to everyone else. It's it's inevitable. I mean, if good works are what gets you into heaven, then you'd better be good. And in fact, you better be better than the people around you. And let's face it, it's really tough to do that without sitting in judgment on the people around you. In fact, you're quite willing to do so. Um, you know, the, the standard that Jesus sets, remember the woman taken in adultery, right? John chapter 8. Remember they drag her right out there? They're like, okay, here's the woman. We've taken her in adultery in the very act, and Moses says we should stone her, so what do you say? And uh, you'll remember that Jesus just kind of bends down and you know starts writing in the dirt with his finger. And, and it doesn't record what he wrote. But you know, there is a really big elephant in the room here. Uh, and the elephant in the room is, wait a minute. You say you caught this woman in adultery in the very act. You know, last we knew... It, it takes two people to commit adultery, right? So where's the other guy? I mean, where, where where's the guy? You got her, you don't have him. And oh, by the way, he wouldn't be one of you guys by any chance, would he? You know? um, it's not one of you, actually, was having adultery, whether was it? Uh, you know, and uh, some speculation there. We don't really know. It doesn't actually say that. But, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to begin asking, wait a minute, because um, Jesus will say... Uh, well, he is without sin, casts the first stone. You want to drag her in here. You are trying to uphold the law of Moses to the letter. Well, if you're in here trying to uphold the law of Moses to the letter and you didn't bring the guy, then you're not upholding the law of Moses to the letter. In fact, you're in here violating the law of Moses, trying to get me to enforce the law of Moses that clearly you won't enforce because if you were, you'd have the guy. And so you're trying to trap me and Really, you've only succeeded in trapping yourselves and of course you know he stoops down starts writing and then they go out they, they just walk away one by one beginning with the oldest one first because it's basically you know if you've been around a while you know it's uh, yeah your conscience is uh, plenty bothering you you can think of lots of things and but when it's all done now and they've all left jesus straightens up and says to the woman uh, you know where are they that, that condemn you and she's like there, there there's no one lord and he says neither do i condemn you go your way and from now on, sin no more. So Jesus is, this is the balance. I mean, yes, he's, he's letting her get away with, she did commit adultery. I don't think there's any discussion about that. I think she was guilty of adultery. Um, in fact, let he who was without sin cast the first stone. Jesus could have picked one up and hurled it, right? I mean, surely Jesus could have thrown the first stone, right? But he doesn't. He's, he's, no, he's going to offer her forgiveness, but the standard is still there. Okay, you've got grace, you've got compassion, you've got forgiveness, but I need you to go and sin no more. I mean, don't take advantage of the grace of God. Don't act like the grace of God gives you a license to go out and sin more. Yes, there is forgiveness. Yes, there is compassion. Yes, there is long-suffering and mercy. But you know, the standard is still there. God has not lowered the standard just because he's merciful. So you, you need to go... And sin no more. So Paul, you know, discussing with these people, he's like, okay, uh, you think that because you're good enough that, that you don't, you know, you're okay. You know, this whole gospel thing. Jesus died, yeah, for somebody else. He didn't have to die for me. I, I'm good enough as I am. He's like, well, okay. So let's talk a minute. As, you know, as we work our way through here through chapter 2. He's like, let's talk a minute more then. So let's talk about the judgment of God. Let's talk about how it is that God is going to go about on the day of judgment... To judge people. And he says in verse 2, We know that the judgment of God justly, rightly falls upon those who practice such things. God is not going to be buffaloed. God is is going to judge from an objective standard. God is going to judge rightly. God is going to look at who you are and what you've done. And, you know, God is not going to be clouded by, uh, you know, we are guilty. You know, we look at things that we have done and... Well, you know how it is, right? I mean, if, if someone is guilty of a particular thing and, um, and you're guilty of it too, whether anybody knows it or not, you know, when it's time for you to start making comment on them, uh, generally, if you have wisdom, we kind of become muted, you know? We're, we, we, oh, so, uh, you know, I'm not sure we want to condemn anybody for that. I mean, after all, if they find out, you know, they'll be coming back at me. So, you know, our judgment can very much be colored by our own sin. God's? God has no sin. So when God judges, God is going to judge sin and he's going to judge it all. And God has never been a hypocrite. God has never done anything wrong ever. God is completely righteous. And so all unrighteousness. So, you know, Paul is just trying to help him out here. It's like, look, if you think that you're good enough to get into heaven, if you think just because you're a good person, you need to understand who's judging you. God is not going to say, well, I need to walk in your shoes. God doesn't need to walk in your shoes. In fact, God isn't going to walk in your shoes. God is going to judge you according to the standards of right and wrong. Absolutely. And so you might want to be careful about standing before God and thinking that you're a nice enough person to make it. That's not going to go good. God, the judgment of God, is going to rightly fall upon everyone who practices any of these things. And if you have any conscience whatsoever, you cannot read the list in chapter 1 and not realize that some of those in there are you. I mean, you know, so be careful. This, it's not a good, and, and do you suppose, verse 3, do you suppose this, O oh man, when you go around passing judgment upon people who practice these things, and let's face it, you're doing the same thing yourself, do you think you are going to somehow escape the judgment of God? You know, one of the great strategies when you accuse someone, if you ever find yourself in a position where you get around <laughs> accusing people, one of the things that they immediately do is come right back at you. Well, yeah, but you, you know. Um, yeah, and you know that might actually work here. You, you, know, you might be able to get someone on the defensive and kind of get them to back off and to kind of leave you alone and, and like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe I better shut up. God's not going to do that. That's, that's not going to work with God. You are not going to escape the judgment of God by somehow pointing out God's sin because he didn't have any. It's not going to work. So if you practice these things and condemn other people who practice the same things you're, con- you're condemning, which, by the way, we all do, And you know, then you're not going to escape the judgment of God. You know the psalmist, where shall I go from thy spirit or where can I flee from your presence? I mean, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in, in the grave, you are there. If I take the winds of the dawn and dwell in the most remote part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. I say, well, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light, they're the same thing to you. You can't hide from God. We are are not going to get away from God. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 23. A God saying, am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not just a God who is far off? I mean, I'm not, I'm not just a God who's way out over there somewhere. I'm right here. I, I'm the God who's here. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so that I don't see him, declares the Lord? <laughs> Did I not fill the heavens and the earth? I right, seriously. I created the heavens and the earth. You, you really think you're going to hide from me somewhere? Uh, Proverbs fifteen three. the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Watching the evil and the good. So, you know, if you suppose that somehow you're going to escape the judgment of God, that somehow God wasn't looking, you know, it's, you did some things wrong, but it'll be okay. In fact, you're pretty sure God never even noticed. Uh, yes, he did. He did. Understand here that Paul is building the case and helping us build the case for those folks who are trying to convince us that they're good enough to get into heaven. Because he's going to end up with the conclusion that, you know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For there is none righteous, no, not one. I mean, that's where he's going with this, right? We're going to get to those verses here in chapter 3. So, but here he's just laying the groundwork. And verse 4 of Romans chapter 2. Do you think so lightly of the riches of his kindness and his forbearance and his patience? I mean, don't you realize that God allowing you to continue to sin is leading you to repentance. You're supposed to have a heart of gratitude. Sure, you're sinning and you're getting away with it. Well, at least you think you are. You, you think that there aren't any consequences to your sin. And you think maybe that God is not paying attention. And you, you think that you're getting away with it. You're not. Yes, God is long-suffering. Yes, God is gracious, and he's forbearant, and he's patient, and he's kind. And, you know, I, you've all probably lived long enough. You know, you've heard people make crazy statements like, you know, I thought for sure that if I did whatever it was, you know, who knows what, it could, whatever. I thought for sure that if I did it, God would strike me dead. But, you know, I did it, and oh, no lightning. I guess it must be okay. Uh, no, no. There's no saying it was okay. In fact, if you thought God was going to strike you dead, it was probably the wrong thing to do. And the fact that you just went out and did it anyway and were waiting for the immediate judgment of God, um, no. No, God is probably not going to rain down immediate judgment. What he's going to do is be kind and forbearing and patient. And what we should do about that is go, oh Lord, you have not given me what I deserve. So my heart, is driven by even greater gratitude to come back to you and to be amazed at your kindness. To just be amazed. I, you know, when God really gets a hold of our heart, we do see the beam in our own eye. And it's a frightful thing. And we suddenly realize that actually God would be completely just to rain down all kinds of wrath on us. But he doesn't. And so we are even more repentant oh, Lord, make me an even more righteous person. You know, that. remember the, the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son went out and, um, you know, he wasted his substance on riotous living uh, and he ends up there feeding the pigs, right? Which, remember, Jews, right? I mean, you're not even supposed to have pigs, let alone be anywhere near them and then you're out here feeding them. In fact, you're down to where you're so hungry that you're actually eating the food that they're feeding the pigs. Duh! And um, finally, He comes to his senses. He comes to his senses and he says, you know what? My my father has servants who are taken better care of than I am. The goodness of my father led me to repentance. I mean, he he looked and said, you know, my father take better care of me than this. I I will go to my father and say to him, look, I've I've sinned against heaven. And in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just, Just take me on as one of the hired servants it'd be better than what i got here that is an example of the goodness leading someone to repentance and that's that's us you know the, the gospel is the message that god is long suffering and kind god is patient and but don't don't allow yourself excuse me yourself or others to take advantage of that to think that well because god is long suffering and patient you know i'm going to go out and just uh, I'm going to do whatever I want with all of my life. And then, uh, then when I'm done, you know, when I'm an old person and, and I'm lying on my deathbed, then I'll give my life to God. Well, maybe uh, maybe, you'll have, maybe, maybe that'll happen. Maybe you'll have, actually have an opportunity. You might want to look at how people depart this world and realize that the opportunity to lay around and think about things is uh, actually a little more rare than you might think. Um, a lot of folks depart this place with a really surprised look on their face. Um, You know, so if you're gambling on that, that that might not go so well. Now is the moment. Now is the moment to take advantage of the grace of God. Well, verse 5. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, what you're doing is you're actually storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. And Revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will, in fact, render to every man according to his deeds. When God gets around to handing out judgment, it's going to be completely proportional. You are, in fact, going to get exactly what you deserve. And, um, you know, you might want to think carefully. I mean, this, Paul is trying to help these good religious people think carefully. You're going to get what you deserve. So just stop and really think about that for a minute. And um, you're you're stubborn, and you're unrepentant, and God is paying attention. And God is just kind of storing all that up. Now, verse 7, if in fact, you know, to those who persevere in doing good and seek for glory and honor and immortality, well, they're going to get eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, they're going to see wrath and indignation there's going to be tribulation and there's going to be distress for every soul of man who does evil. And, and by the way, that includes the Jews first, even, and also the Greeks. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Now, you might read that and you might think, well, well there you go. I mean, Paul is clearly making it, you know, the, the, wait, you actually can work your way to heaven? Is, I, I mean, that's what it says, right? To those who persevere in doing good and seek for glory, honor, and immortality, they're going to get eternal life. Wow, you can work your way to heaven? Did Paul actually say that? Um, Paul is leading them into a trap. He's actually, yes, well, sure, if you could do that. But the reality is, you can't do that. And and anyone who actually stops and thinks about it for a minute is going to conclude that, you know what, that's a pretty high standard there. Am I going to completely persevere in, in doing good and seeking God's glory and, and his honor and living my life like I'm going to live for eternity. Really? Do you think anybody can actually keep that standard? Uh, no. Right? I mean, come on. No one, act- but you know, those who are selfishly ambitious. Ah, well, now that, I, <clears throat> I understand that. And uh, do not obey the truth. Well, yeah. yeah. That's and they obey unrighteousness. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. Uh, yep. That is, uh, that's actually a much more apt description of all of us. And he's going to conclude here. Remember, I, I mentioned these verses in 3.10. He's going to say, there's none righteous. No, no, one. I, I mean, we're going to see that there's nobody righteous. And, and 3.23, all of them sinned i come short of the glory of God. Uh, 1 John um, 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sure, if we could live a perfect life, if we could be a perfect person, if we could never sin, then, well, yeah, we'd go to heaven. But here's the, here's the reality. No one can do that. No one's ever done that. The only person who's ever done that is Jesus. Everyone else has fallen short. So, yeah, okay, I mean, granted, if in fact you could live a perfect life, that might work, but the fact is no one is living a perfect life, Jews or Gentiles. And uh, there is no partiality with God, which is verse 11. It's it's not going to help just because you're Jewish. And he's going to get into that much more specifically, and we will get into that much more specifically next week the idea of being Jewish, but, you know, he's including them in this. He's like, look, it doesn't really matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile. Um, There's no partiality with God. It's not going to help, even if you have Abraham for your father. Uh, And now he's going to go into the discussion about the law, the law of God. And here's the reality. The law of God only brings condemnation. That's, That's all the law does. Those who have sinned without the law well, they're going to perish without the law. I mean, if you've never heard the law, then you're just going to perish without ever having heard the law. That doesn't, that doesn't make you any less um, responsible. Uh, those who have sinned under the law are going to be judged by the law. And this is the partiality thing. It's like, you know, if you've had the law, that's the standard you're going to be held to. You might actually wish you'd never had the law. For Not the hearers of the law just before God, but the doers of the law be justified. The very fact that you've heard the law of Moses, the fact that you've read the book of Leviticus, the fact that you know what the standards are and that you were called to walk humbly and and love your brother and love your neighbor like you love yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. The fact that you've heard the Ten Commandments. um, Okay, it's good as those things go, but you're going to be held accountable for them. And and the fact that you heard them isn't going to do much. In fact, what it's going to do is make you even more responsible because you didn't do them. In fact, even the Gentiles who don't have the law but do instinctively the things of the law, these having not the law are, are like the law unto themselves and they show the work of the law written in their hearts. I mean, they know, even people who have never heard the law of Moses, people who have never heard the Ten Commandments, they still know what right and wrong is. They still know that you should try to do to people as you would have people do to you. You still know that you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't break your vows, you shouldn't be committing adultery with people, you shouldn't be doing the stealing stuff. I mean, you know, all of these things are are just very, very clear. And even people who have never heard the law of Moses, that law is just written in your heart. In fact, your conscience then is either going to cause you, alternately, to accuse Or defend yourself. You're either like, well, I'm bad, but I'm never near as bad as them. Or, hey, come on, everybody does it. I mean, yeah, sure, I'm guilty, but everyone is. Yeah, Okay. And how do you think both of those are going to go come the day of judgment? Those things are not going to work. God is not going to buy that. When you get to the day of judgment, if your defense is, well, everybody did it. That's not a good defense. That's not going to be a good defense. You're you're going to perish with that defense. And if you're thinking that, well, I felt bad about it. I mean, you know, I I felt guilty. You should have felt guilty about it. You did the wrong thing. That's not going to hold any water with God either. What is, well, the gospel. On the day when, according to, to the gospel that I preach, the good news that I'm telling, God is going to judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. When you get there to the final judgment, you're going to find that the gospel provided you a way to escape all of this. If only you had taken it. Because come the day of judgment, Uh, Romans 14, 12, he's going to get to that when we get to chapter 14, you know, every one of us is going to give an account of himself to God. That's what we're going to do. We're we're, we're going to stand up there and we're going to start explaining. Okay, God's going to say, I, you know, I gave you this and, you know, what'd you do with the truth I gave you? What'd you do with the gifts I gave you? What'd you do with the light I gave you? And the lost, you know, the lost are going to have to give an explanation, I mean, there was you. You lived in America. You lived in, in, in you know in Del Rio. You lived in a place where there were churches all over everywhere, and they preached the gospel. And did you listen? You had a coworker who knew the gospel. You had a coworker who occasionally brought their Bible to work, and you saw them reading it once in a while. And instead of listening to it, you ridiculed them, and you gave them a hard time, and you you know, all of that stuff is the secrets of men are all going to be revealed. And the fact is that if you had just Listened to the gospel, you could have been saved. If you'd have just trusted not in your good works, but in what Jesus has done. Because Ecclesiastes 12:14, God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, good or evil. It's all going to be brought into judgment. Um, Luke 8, 17, there's nothing hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. Every little whisper, every, every, little, every little glance, everything, it's, it's all going to be brought to light. It's, and there's going to be an accounting given for it. And this should help us as we try to share the gospel to people that, look, God is a forgiving God. The great message here, the good news here is that God is willing to forgive, but you do have to recognize that you need the forgiveness of God. And as long as you continue to cling on to this idea that somehow you're you know, good enough, you're lost. And that's not going to go well. 1 Corinthians 4 or 5. Don't, don't go passing judgment before the time. Wait until the Lord comes who will bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man will have praise come to him from God. So, you know, there are rewards. Uh, and this is a, a verse of encouragement to those amongst us you guys who i'm going to give you all the complete benefit of the doubt that your motives are right and that you are striving to do right and and that you are working on being a righteous person and does it always work out nope nope Does sometimes even though i tried to do the right thing and even though my motives are right and even though my heart was right even though i strove to do right it all just kind of seemed to blow up in my face well that's okay The day of judgment is going to come, and God is going to reveal the hidden things. And it will be shown that that our heart was truly right, that we really didn't mean to say something that hurt someone, that it really wasn't our intention to have some event come to pass in (laughs) the disaster that it was. And uh, really, we were trying to do the right thing. You know, God is going to praise us for our motives. Um, we will all, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and each one of us will be recompensed for his deeds done in the body according to what he has done, whether whether good or bad. The fact is that, that God wants to give us great reward and we as believers, the judgment that the unbeliever should fear, we as believers can look forward to as the place where God is going to reveal the true intent of our heart. Now, I don't know, I mean, you might find that terrifying, you know, but hopefully not. Hopefully, you have truly prayed and, and, and said, you know, Lord, search my heart. Uh, try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And, and help me, lead me in the path of righteousness. Uh, Lord, open my eyes to my sin. Open up who I am and uh, give me a heart of righteousness so that I can truly serve you. And, uh, you know, that's, that's who we are as believers. That's what, that's what being a disciple of Christ is. That is what we are striving to do every day faithfully. So that come the day of judgment, when we stand there before God, um, whether we were seemingly greatly successful or not, um, we can say, well, Lord, you know, uh, in my marriage and in my relationship to my neighbors and to my parents and to my siblings and to my children and, you know, to my coworkers and the people of my church, I did truly strive to bring honor and glory to you. Great reward. Great rewards. We will rejoice forever over that heart and over, over striving to do that. Um, that's, that's a, God wants to do that. God wants to just pour out rewards on us and gives us his spirit and his, his heart because that's who God is. Well, let's face it. God pours out blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing. I mean, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the good and on the evil. Um, if we want to be like God, then we too, need to do good things to everyone. And God is paying attention, watching. Even if no one else is, God knows and will richly reward. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are omniscient. Nothing escapes you. You know the very thoughts of our hearts as we sit here this morning, as we hear your word, as we hear your message You know how our hearts are responding to it and how your spirit is speaking to us and how you're using your word to drive us to love you more, to love each other more, to determine to be more kind and compassionate and forgiving, gracious, committed, determined to use our gifts and to serve you in our service to one another. Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us. And that you would use your word to do that miraculous thing that your word does. Actually reach in and change us. May your spirit work in our hearts and lives. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.